All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for being here. It is October 21st, 2023. Moscow time is 3357 at block 813189, and the price of Bitcoin is 29,786 US dollars. Not that the price is super important, but it's kind of nice to timestamp that. Uh, thank you, Ben, for planting the seed. Very excited to explore the potential of uh, this network together. Uh, I'm Caribou. I'm going to moderate this first call for, you know, the first official live call for the Bitcoin Consultant Network. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this and uh, grateful for everyone who's here today and listening after the fact of the recording. So a few housekeeping items before we dig in. Uh, this call is going to be audio only, so please deactivate your mic um, or mute your mic rather, unless you're speaking and deactivate your video just so we can preserve bandwidth. Uh, and the audio from this call is going to be posted as a podcast to Bitcoin store within 24 hours. So people who can't make it today can listen. Um, and so that we also have an archive of this conversation. So I did send out an agenda for today. Give me a second, admit this person. Perfect. I did send out an agenda today. Um, but after thinking about it, I think we just focus on the why and the how. I had some other things listed, but I think the importance of this call is really to get clarity and alignment on why we're doing this and how we can go about uh, collaborating. So if we have time at the end, we can talk about the other stuff. Um, I got four speakers who have messaged me about sharing their why. So we're going to give them the stage first, and then we can kind of open up for others to discuss or speak um, on other topics on the agenda or just anything that comes to mind. So Ben is going to kick us off. Very fitting. He's the one who planted the seed and started this all. Uh, he's going to share his thoughts on why he initiated this and sort of why we're doing this. So Ben, it's all yours. And thanks again for kicking this off. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so I guess the best way for me to start the why um, for me is actually to tell a little bit about my story. I'm going to keep it brief because uh, obviously I don't want to waste too much time. But um, I actually think you know, your story I... is incredibly important. So <laughs> feel free to take as much time as you want. Seriously. Sure thing. Okay. So um, you know, I come from a relatively um, broad background of a lot of different things. I studied a lot of different things, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life when I was younger. Um, I'm not so young anymore. Um, I uh, studied, for example, neuroscience um, for a while. I studied linguistics formally for a while. Um, and one of the things that I actually completed my studies in, and this is going to sound ridiculous, is uh, private investigations. I'm a uh, qualified and licensed private inquiries agent in the state of New South Wales, Australia. Not that I live there anymore, and I've never actually done it as a job. But you know, just to give you an idea, I've got this kind of diverse background. But most of my career, I spent writing software um, and most of my career or most of my private life, I should say, at the same time as that um, career was going on. I've been very interested in um, alternative political philosophy, um, largely around um, the idea of why do we even need things like governments? So essentially, you know, very anarchist leaning, looking into a lot of your know, classical anarchist thinkers, um, a lot of uh, classical philosophy, that kind of thing. Um, and really kind of getting a feel for that. So obviously being in tech and being interested in anarchism as a general concept, um, I was there on those early cypherpunk mailing lists and it was around 2010 that I first discovered Bitcoin. It was an obvious fit for me, but I didn't see it straight away. So in 2010, I did download the client, um, uh, Bitcoin, I what was it even called back then? It's now Bitcoin, I guess. It was even before it was Bitcoin QT. So I guess it was just the Bitcoin client, whatever it was called. Downloaded it, 
mined four blocks cpu mining so i had 200 bitcoin at one point and then i deleted it and ignored it for around a year 2011 i rediscovered it when i saw on slashdot um that people were buying drugs online using this strange internet currency called bitcoin and i thought hold on that's that's that thing that i've already seen you know i, I looked at that a year ago how is this still going how is this not shut down you know how is it that you know people aren't getting you know the traffic blocked or uh, your know, servers confiscated or whatever you know what what's going on here so i then actually started really looking into it and learning how it works and realized the reason it's not being shut down is because they can't shut it down that's meaningful that's interesting that's something special so from there i kind of started slowly doing what would now be called going down the bitcoin rabbit hole um slowly learning more and more about it meeting some of the people getting involved here and there at the same time i became a father um so whenever you have a big life change like that other things get put on hold so it wasn't until around 2014 that i started getting very very active in bitcoin um and started pressuring the company that i was working for to do something with bitcoin three years of trying to pressure them i eventually said okay you know they're not listening to me they don't seem to get it I'm just going to go out and do my own thing in the Bitcoin space. So in 2018, I um, left that comp left my fiat job, and I've been working in the Bitcoin space ever since. I um, worked for a mining company for a while, who were absolutely terrible. I then left that and worked for a different mining company, who were also relatively terrible, um, and got a bit disillusioned by that side of the industry and thought, hey. Maybe there's some good ones out there, but I can't seem to find them. And they're not interested in the same things that I'm interested in. Um, you know, with my background, I'm interested in Bitcoin because it's a tool for freedom. It's a tool for economic empowerment. It's a tool for letting people have control over their own financial capabilities. I want to be able to help other people do that. And working for a mining company isn't that. So at that point, I figured I would start um, Bitcoiner Consulting which is uh, the consulting company I'm running now. It's still a sole trader, so I'm uh, not a registered company. I don't have limited liability or anything, so it's all uh, on my shoulders if I do something wrong. Uh, that might change in the near future, TBD. Um, so that's you know, sort of where I'm at. Uh, for a, a, couple of, um, a couple of times, I was tempted away back towards a uh, more steady income i guess you could say uh and i worked for around six months at lightning labs i worked for a little bit over a year at swan bitcoin as a vp of engineering but um all throughout that i've continued to run the consulting company as well so in between those jobs i've been doing full-time consulting and during those jobs i was doing smaller consulting jobs on the side most of my consulting work is focused on uh, business integration and especially product integration. So companies who say, I want to implement Bitcoin in my product, but I don't know how, or I don't understand enough about Bitcoin, or maybe even sometimes smaller Bitcoin startups who say, I really need a technical subject matter expert who can tell me these things. Um, that's where I've been focusing most of my consulting energy. Um, I do, of course, also take on a relatively wide range of other clients. So, you know, the typical um, high net worth individual who says, you know, I've understood I shouldn't keep my money on an exchange. I shouldn't keep my Bitcoin on an exchange. 
how do I take self-custody? How do I look after it? What's all this cold storage stuff that people talk about? You know, what's a hardware wallet? How do I understand these things? And then, you know, I step them through essentially everything they need to know to confidently take proper self-custody rather than just, uh, you know, throwing a hardware wallet at them and saying, go for it. Um, so that's, you know, some of the smaller kinds of jobs that I do. Um, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm up to at this point. And that's what prompted me to then write this, uh, you know, I wrote it on LinkedIn and Twitter at the same time, um, a post basically saying, hey, you know, I'm interested in seeing if there are other Bitcoin consultants out there who might want to, you know, form some kind of network. The idea for me largely being there are things I know I can't do and shouldn't do. Um, things like regulatory stuff. You know, I'm not a regulatory specialist. Um, I'm not a tax specialist. I'm not a legal specialist. I can't talk to my clients about these things. Um, and if they ask me about those things, you know, I will very directly tell them, you know, you're going to have to talk to someone else. And I would love to be able to recommend them to other people. Additionally, while I'm on some of my larger contracts, so for example, I'm just finishing now one relatively large long-term um, contract. It was a three-month contract uh, with a company to integrate Lightning into their existing offering. Um, that's just coming to a close now. But during these three months, you know, I've only been able to take on smaller jobs occasionally. So there's been you know, a couple of regular clients who I talk to who you know, I've been taking them on, but I would love to be able to recommend other clients. So, you know, some new person writes to me and says, hey, I'm a high net worth individual. I need help setting up you know, self-custody, one of those kinds of things. At the moment, I've been rejecting some of those. Um, quite simply, I've got more work than I've got time to do, which is a great situation to be in, but it would be really nice to be able to have somebody who I, or a group of other people who I can confidently pass on these people to so somebody i can you know trust to do that because i don't just want to say oh yeah go talk to this guy when i don't know you you know so the idea of the network is that we get to know each other we get to be able to understand each other's strengths and abilities and capabilities and then you know really be able to pass work around between us based on strengths based on language based on location based on whatever makes sense um so you know obviously i'll still take on as much work as I can, take on the best work that I can. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, I think that's natural for any uh, self-employed person to do. But obviously, you know, other things I will want to be able to pass on and I want to be able to do it in a, um, in a way that I can trust the people. So that's pretty much my why. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, if there's any questions, um, you know, let's uh, open up the floor after um, another couple of people have had a chance to talk. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that, Ben. It's a very impressive history, and I think it gives good context as to you know where you're at and why that message went out. Um, and yeah, beautiful. Let's go student of Bitcoin next, uh, who had mentioned that he wants to speak about why he feels this consulting initiative is important. And I think I think it's Santosh on here. Let me just, double. oh yeah, he's got his mute. It's me. Perfect, go for it, floor is yours. Hey everyone, uh, thank you for your time. I'm glad that we actually were able to get this together. So shout out to Ben and Caribou for not only putting planting the seed, but also now for you to to host and moderate this conversation. Um, I go by student of Bitcoin, but my name is Santosh. Uh, I was named that 20 years ago before Satoshi came along. So no relation to uh, the founder. 
Um, the reason I chose student at Bitcoin is I wanted to showcase that Bitcoin could be a lifelong subject that everyone can learn from and anyone could be a student. So that's the reason I actually chose that handle. Um, everything changed for me, even though I've been going down the rabbit hole a few years, I spent the past decade just helping organizations adopt technology. But the last stint at the fintech, I'd say really changed my mindset more than anything. Uh, I was creating partnerships with globally recognized brands to sell credit. And knowing that I had Bitcoin as a solution that really ate away at my mental health. And I eventually ended up leaving and taking on a Bitcoin challenge. So I went into Bitcoin full-time earlier this year, not knowing where to start. Came up with a personal challenge of enabling one Bitcoin interaction per day for 100 days. And first two weeks were easy. Went to family and friends. Hey, let me help you with your hardware wallet. Okay, here's how you self-custody. This is how you buy Bitcoin. This is how you spend Bitcoin. Week three got very difficult and I started getting desperate. So in that desperation, I started coming up with crazy ideas. You'd see in my picture, I hold a whiteboard. I took a whiteboard like that to the streets of Calgary, held it in their various streets, hoping to just spark curiosity and see how people perceive Bitcoin. Ended up spending maybe 15 to 20 hours on the streets across the three months um, I've been taking a ton of visual notes as I've been studying Bitcoin, made it all available for free, compiled it into two books, onboarded a bunch of businesses, helped two farmers with their node, left Bitcoin treasure. All to say, it taught me a lot of Bitcoin, but my biggest takeaway from all that was in order for us to create network effects, businesses have to accept it as a form of payment. And, every, and you can challenge me if you'd like, but I believe true adoption of Bitcoin only occurs when it's being accepted as a payment for goods and services. That's sort of the personal side, professionally, having spent so much time with organizations, I just found this to be the perfect marriage of my career and Bitcoin. And I finally realized I found the word for it, that Bitcoin is my ikigai, uh, the Japanese word for your sense of purpose. But enough about me, I wanted to really talk about why this initiative is important. And to set the stage, I'd like to share three stories, and I'll keep it brief, of business owners that I've met recently on my Bitcoin pilgrimage. We'll start in Canada. I met a barber who's looking to save for his five-year-old son and for his son's education and his son's future. In Canada, money has lost its value roughly 30% or more in the past decade. Housing is through the roof. This barber doesn't accept car payments because it costs him too much, anywhere between 2 to 4%. So for his business, cash is king. Now, how does he secure his son's future and for his family? The next business owner I met is in Jordan. Uh, for those who don't know Wadi Rum, Wadi Rum is a desert in Jordan that looks like Mars. There's plenty of movies that were filmed there. Um, it's dry desert, not much there except for tourism and for the Bedouins with their camels. Now, he owns a tour company as well as a camp with about 15 to 20 rooms. He also doesn't accept card payments, only cash, Jordanian dinar, or the euro because most of his customers are European. He has a large extended family, roughly 200 people, and he has strong conviction, just like a Bitcoiner, to help his family and the next generation, so his sons, nieces, nephews, to grow their business within Wadi Rum and not to leave their homeland. What does he do? Now, moving on to Egypt. Bitcoin is illegal here, by the way. A chef in Egypt has seen her produce costs rise almost threefold in the past decade. She's finding it extremely difficult to keep her local customers 
maintain her prices, but not cut corners with her food. So now how does she continue serving food with the best quality while maintaining prices? It's stories like this that have made me realize that Bitcoin isn't just a payment method, but can be a lifeline to many business owners. And going back to what Ben said, it's freedom. It could be freedom for many individuals around the world. And it's unfortunate that Bitcoin is insanely misunderstood by the masses. And we know the masses are in no rush to understand it. And that's where I believe this initiative comes in. Bitcoin isn't a company, but it still needs business-centric roles. You know, it needs marketing, it needs sales, it needs onboarding, it needs customer success, and so much more. I truly believe that by planting the seed, Ben, you've got us together. And I hope that as a group, we can empower others to become students and help them on their Bitcoin journey. Santosh, that was wonderful. Thank you for sharing those stories. And I think it just highlights, um, you know, the need for Bitcoin on many levels on levels that, you know, some of us may not have been exposed to. So thank you very much. Um, David Deplatzi, um, you're up next. So go for it. Hey, great. Thanks, Caribou. And thank you, Ben, as well, for organizing this. This is, uh, I think, the timing. It couldn't have been better. Um, <laughs> seeing your post, and I was like, yeah, why, why didn't I think of that? It's the first thing that came to mind. Uh, anyway, a quick introduction. My name is David. Um, I've basically been uh, working in Bitcoin for quite some time. So, but that said, I've gone through kind of the same cycles. It sounds like some of the others who have spoken and people posted online have done. Um, I started out a few years back, but let me rewind my own history. I've been working in uh, finance and capital markets for probably 20, 25 years of my career. Um, knew that was the industry I was going to be in. I enjoyed I enjoyed the idea of connecting people and getting people together to kind of finance dreams and, and businesses. I'm a licensed CPA. Uh, I've also done the, uh, I'm a chartered financial analyst. If anybody knows what that is, it's, it's, uh, it's another uh, designation, if you will, for people who are in the finance industry. Um, I hope you can hear me. It's kind of quiet. Does everyone hear me all right? We can hear you. You're good. Great, great, great. So what what is all, how does all this tie together? Because that's really legacy banking. Well, my my view is, that, like I said, I have uh, I kind of came into the finance industry, finance and accounting industry, because I enjoy business. I enjoy making other people more efficient and, and, and in the process learning myself. But the underlying current has always been negative, the underlying current. current. And it's not just from the, the banking aspect, but from the entire uh, economic, financial, economic perspective. And I've, I've seen it, I've, I've known it, I've experienced it myself, my family's experienced it, and there was never a solution. And like others who, who've come across Bitcoin, I didn't recognize the option. I didn't recognize the opportunity. At first. And uh, and it was, a, uh, it was a, that said, when you, you got to come into it on your own speed. And that's probably what other people have experienced as well. When you finally recognize Bitcoin for what it is, the light came on for me. And it was a uh, it was a changing moment, and that's when I started reorienting myself. Uh, you know, this is probably about five six years ago, to to uh, to do something different. So I stepped out of the industry. I essentially left it behind, and into my own consulting world. I, I kind of did a sidetrack through some tech industry but that was short lived, and went into just consulting. It was it was a good opportunity to kind of try to do things on my own. Rather than living in the corporate space, I stepped out and said, okay, how do I re-translate everything I know from finance, capital markets, and accounting to people who want to know business, want that support, but want it on a different track. 
um, that which is what Bitcoin offers. And uh, doing that in a selective way, I've done a lot of consulting. I've only had a few uh, minor off you know, offside engagements that weren't profitable at all. And one that's a long-term contract uh, that's essentially helping a, a large non-governmental organization uh, essentially integrate Bitcoin into their operations and, and regulatory um, I've, I went into mining. I heard somebody, uh, it was Ben mentioned about the miners, and I know exactly what he said. I went into mining myself, actually, trying to figure out how, how to make money. But when, when I say money, I mean Bitcoin. I want to uh, earn in Bitcoin. I want to be essentially an accounting, we call this being functional. I want to be Bitcoin. And uh, from that perspective, yeah, that mining seemed the right natural next step. And it was good. It was a good thing. I'm essentially shutting down the operations here, this upcoming having. Um, but that was the intention. It, it gave me a different perspective, different uh, view on how to be in business in a Bitcoin space. Um, and it was good. That said, I've met many other miners, those whom were probably not 100% Bitcoin like I am. Uh, and I can see where Ben had difficulty in that area. Um, so I, by having that experience, I think that gave me an opportunity also to help others who wanted to be, it, whether in mining or whether in uh, the, uh, the the power industry space, thing uh, and consulting with other other Bitcoin possibilities, uh, installing Bitcoin miners with load balancing um, opportunities. And, and my background in financing capital markets was it didn't hurt. It was a great opportunity to kind of to retranslate that into the power industry. And if anyone here knows about the power industry, it's not too different from the finance industry. Only constraints are your transmission pathways. But anyway. Uh, I'm just going to try and wrap this up and not make it a long conversation, but uh, it's, it's it's a bit of a strange turn of events. I actually went back into a fiat job uh, not too long ago uh, in the power industry because of the mining uh, exposure. So essentially for me, uh, consulting is, is my side business right now. But that said, it's still I'm a passionate uh, Bitcoiner and always looking uh, to this as the future for not just myself, but for the rest of the world. Anyway, thanks again, Ben, and thanks again, uh, thanks again, uh, Caribou. I think my why in this distilled down is we need to get the word out. We need to find our own strengths, find what we do best, and this network will help us rely on others who can do things better than ourselves. And, and as we get to know each other, we can more reliably point to each other and build this network around the world. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, David. Um, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of strength in having us all be um, competent Bitcoin generalists, but having a specialty. I come from the world of health. Uh, I'll talk at the end and I'll give more context as to that. But I think there's a lot of strength in being a generalist with a specialty and being part of a network of people who all have individual specialties that we can both learn from and also refer to. And I think that's what really got me when Ben's initial post was put out there is like we can't all know everything and be able to do everything there's it's very broad and there's a lot of different uh areas within this in terms of how bitcoin is going to need to be applied and i think just the notion that we can have this big group of people who actually value learning and sharing and cross-pollinating perspectives and um working alongside each other i mean we're you know this game is best played as a team i think and uh, so it's really cool exactly. to have people come together as a team um Thanks for that, David. Christopher, you're up next, so it's all yours. 
Hi, Caribou. Um, shout out to you for um, moderating the call and also shout out to uh, Ben for bringing us all together. Um, I'll start off by um, introducing myself and um, the rest of my team who are not on the call, but um, I'll give you an overview as to what we do and um, hopefully the whys will come out of that. Uh, so my name is Christopher. My name is Christopher Gordon. Um, we're based in the UK. Um, I'm Bitcoin class of 2017. Um, I met my co-founders of Bridge to Bitcoin, who were Simon and James, um, about 18 months ago now. We met through Peter McCormack shortly after he bought Ray Albert Bedford, which wasn't called Ray Albert Bedford, which was just called Bedford, Bedford FC. Um, we each individually went along to go and watch his, his newly acquired football team. Um, I, I, to be honest, I was fully expecting a huge crowd of Bitcoiners at this first match, um, but was sorely disappointed when I turned up and there was an attendance of about 20 people, um, 10 of which were Bitcoiners, and half of those 10 were Simon and his family, uh, Simon, his wife, and his three daughters. Um, but anyway, so I met Simon and James and a couple of other Bitcoiners there. Um after a short chat, we realized we had some common values, as as we often do when we meet fellow fellow Bitcoiners. Um, but the main thing that we had, had in common was that we each wanted to live on a Bitcoin circular economy. Um, and we realized that we had some complementary skill sets. And rather than go away and carry on trying to live in a Bitcoin circular economy, trying to onboard merchants in our individually in silo. Um, in our local areas, we thought we'd collaborate together and form Bridge to Bitcoin. Um, so that's what we do. We onboard merchants in the UK um, to accept Bitcoin payments. Um, a lot of people think we're a tech company or we've got our own point of sale devices. We're actually, um, it's quite apt for this call, we're actually a marketing consultancy uh, when you boil us down. Um, so in our basket of solutions, in our suite, if you like, are technically all the merchant solutions that exist globally. Um, and what we normally do is we sit down with a business owner or the board of directors, whoever it might be, um, and we just break down how that business is structured, um, as in, are they a limited company? Are they a sole trader, um, partnership, or how many sites do they have? How many payment-facing members of staff do they have? And so on. Um, and then we work out which is the best solution for them um, and then handhold them through the setup process. Um, but the magic source is what comes afterwards. So that's that's technically relatively easy to do. Um, the, the important bit is the marketing bit. So once we've got a solution in place, we then market it out, market that business out to the Bitcoin community through our social media channels. Um, so one of the legs of Bridge to Bitcoin is uh, a separate entity called Bitcoin Events UK that Simon heads up, um, and that encourages meetups and uh, local communities in the UK. Um, so we've seen that go from strength to strength. Uh, and that's really important for Bridge to Bitcoin because um, what the meetups enable us to do is to take hard numbers to businesses and say, look, we we know there are definitely, say, 60 Bitcoiners in this town, um, and we will drive those those Bitcoin customers to your business. Um, so that's the secret source. Once we put in place a technical, a technical solution, we then drive those customers uh, to them. Um, 
Now, our strategy is slightly different to what I think others expect. Um, so a lot of people say, so you orange pill business owners. Uh, now, this is a little controversial, what I'm going to say now. Uh, we don't orange pill them at all. Um, our starting point is actually, um, would you like some additional footfall? And, uh, and then some additional revenue through that additional footfall. Uh, because what we do is we drive an untapped customer base to your business. Um, and as you as you guys know, that untapped customer base are Bitcoiners. We as Bitcoiners, uh, most of us want to live in a Bitcoin circular economy. We realize that this is the hardest, soundest money and we want to use it. Um, and Bitcoiners will go out of their way to spend Bitcoin or spend and replace uh, their Bitcoin um, they will travel an extraordinary distance. So the catchment area for Bitcoin customers is far larger. Um, so we drive this untapped customer base to those businesses. Um, at this point, a lot of business owners go, well, I'm, I'm not interested in Bitcoin because our target market is not Bitcoiners or not people who we think are going to be Bitcoiners. Our target market, market is actually ordinary business owners, um, the the sector that we're most successful in or we can drive more easily drive Bitcoiners to is the hospitality uh, sector. Um, so our target market, market are business owners who are not Bitcoiners at all um, because, and this is the controversial bit, what we say is if you're not interested in Bitcoin, that's fine because there are technolo technological, solu technological solutions that enable you to flip that Bitcoin at point of sale into your local currency. So what that means is if a customer comes into a pub, let's say orders two pints of beer, uh, that pub owner can continue to invoice in their local currency or does continue to invoice, say £10. The Bitcoiner pays with their Bitcoin, but it gets flipped instantly into uh, pounds for them, uh, minus any transaction fees. Um, now, at this point, I often get maxis say, well, I don't want to... I don't want to partake in that. Why would I want to spend my Bitcoin on an establishment that's not actually a Bitcoin establishment? They're just flipping it to to your local to the local currency. Um, my my comeback to that is uh, these businesses uh, benefit us as Bitcoiners in a couple of ways, and there's a really interesting um, second order effect. So the the benefits are we are that we are enabled we are being enabled to live in a bitcoin circular economy every time a business accepts bitcoin um which is ultimately what i and my fellow bitcoiners in the uk want to do um and by accepting bitcoin those businesses are adding to the liquidity of the bitcoin network and also the lightning network um but the really interesting second order effect and this is this is the bit i really like um so we're taking business owners often have absolutely no interest in Bitcoin. They categorically, I'm not interested. I don't understand it. And we're, we're very hands-off about that. We're saying that's absolutely fine. The second order effect is Bitcoin customers will still go to these businesses and they are your best customers these business owners have ever seen. Uh, as I said earlier, they travel an extortionate distance. They arrive at these establishments, let's say a restaurant, and they will check and they'll say, do you take Bitcoin? And they go, yes, we do. And the Bitcoin will go, brilliant. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. No one does that when someone goes into a restaurant and says, do you, do you take US dollars? No one goes, oh, brilliant. You take US dollars. I'm so happy. Or do you take pounds or euros? Oh, fantastic. That's amazing. But you get this immediate positive response when people, when business owners say, yes, we take Bitcoin. So that they get that immediate, yes, that's fantastic. And then when they come to pay, 
those Bitcoin customers are even more enthusiastic. They will, as you guys know, they will film those transactions on a point of sale machine and then they'll post it on social media and they'll leave the best reviews that that business has ever seen um, amongst their friends and family saying, you've got to come, it's fantastic, they're brilliant. And then they go and get those some of those bar staff to download a wallet and they'll tip those bar staff. Um, so they're, they're your best customers you've ever seen. And what happens is those business owners, they're being exposed to Bitcoin in their own space, in their own environment. They're seeing the utility of Bitcoin. So we're not forcing an orange pill down their throat. They're seeing Bitcoin coming into their business at speed through the Lightning Network. So it removes all that FUD about it being slow and, and ancient and cumbersome and expensive. Um, and they're also getting the Bitcoiners come along who are enthusiastic, who want to spend their currency. And in, the, in these economic times where things are getting tougher and tougher, that's extremely unusual. Um, so these business owners, they either go and ask their Bitcoin customers a little bit more about Bitcoin and or they go and do some research in their own time. And invariably what happens, we get a phone call, be it two, three weeks later or maybe a couple of months or more, but invariably at some point we get a phone call or a message from them that goes a little like this. Uh, Chris, thanks for putting in place that that. Bitcoin payment thing that we've got in the restaurant. It's working really well. We're getting loads of loads of customs. It's great. And we've got this meetup as well. I, I didn't say earlier, that's another reason why the meetups are really important because we drive meetups to these, these establishments. So that, yeah, they'll often say, yeah, we, we're getting this meetup. They come along every month or every other month they come to my business. So that's great. Um, but um, is there any way that, um, you, you know, you sort of changing that Bitcoin into pounds, uh, uh, is there any way we can keep the Bitcoin now? And so what we're seeing here is it's a natural organic orange pill that is actually happening, that's actually being planted, that's actually being sown. Uh, so eventually we're seeing these bit business owners become Bitcoiners and it's a wonderful thing to see. Um, so that's our strategy. Um, I'm going I'm to wrap it up quite quickly because I can just talk on and on and on um so i'm yeah i just want to be transparent about that strategy i think it's a really fantastic strategy because we, yeah we're not trying to ram any orange pills down people's throats um i'm also a founder one of the co-founders of laser eyes cards out of interest so that's not really related but might be of interest to you guys so we make uh, premium bulk cards so contactless tap and pay uh bitcoin debit cards that light up um when you tap and pay on a point of sale machine um, we're based in the UK, um, so most of our work is UK-based in terms of that's what we concentrate on because um, that's what we know with regards to regulation. Um, my background is um, I do a little bit, of, uh, I do a little bit of business angel investing. Um, so if any of you guys are surface, which seems to be quite prevalent in the Bitcoin community, I'm founding investor of a business called The Wave in Bristol in the UK, which is an inland surf park. Um, so if you, any of you guys are in the UK and are surfers and like to go. Just give me a shout out and we'll we'll sort you out with some sessions. Um, and I've also worked at sort of the other end of the spectrum. I've worked in the public sector um, as um, well. I, I'm a mad, I'm technically still a qualified paramedic, although I haven't touched a patient in quite some time. Um, but I worked my way up through the NHS. Um, so I ended up before I left working on national program rollouts. Um, so an interesting foot in. Um, 
either ends of the spectrum of sort of the public sector and the private sector camps. Um, James is from 20 years in TradFi. Um, he's now, I guess you'd call him retired, now working for Bitcoin, um, but he's an accountant. So he's really useful to have in the team um, and is a fantastic co-founder because of that skill set. So we often get tax questions, get asked, and he can, he can answer them. Uh, very proficiently or talk directly to bis other businesses uh, accountants so they can have accountant to accountant chats um, and then Simon he's our, our tech guru if you like um, one of my taglines is I'm the least technical person in Bitcoin uh, where Simon's kind of the opposite he he answers all our tech questions and actually he helped me yesterday because I went along to uh, one of the restaurants in London that had a bit of trouble um, accepting Bitcoin payments so I went along and um called a friend if you like called simon when i got there and realized I, I couldn't fix it myself but we were able to rectify it within a few minutes and the restaurant was back up and running um very quickly um so that's simon that's james that's myself um do i need to cover anything else i think maybe i should stop there caribou otherwise as i say i can keep on going oh I'll, what i'll finish off with actually we do um assist with anyone else who wants to do the same abroad um so we haven't set up um, a bridge to Bitcoin in other countries. Um, but if anyone does want to create a sort of sister organization, if you like, we we often have phone calls um, to tell them what we do and they take our blueprints. So uh, the same has been done with, uh, with a small group of Bitcoiners in New Zealand. We've spoken with people in Canada and actually we're helping uh, Free Madeira um, to onboard some more merchants in Madeira uh, to, so that hopefully... There'll be um, a few businesses in time for the conference that's happening in March over there. Um, so I'm heading over to Madeira, hopefully at some point in Q4 this year, to run a workshop um, together with the Free Madeira guys um, to get some business on board and then hopefully another follow-up workshop before the conference so that hopefully there'll be quite a few businesses um, that um, where we can spend our Bitcoin or spend and replace Um Anyway, I'm going to hand the mic back to Caribou. Um, thanks very much, Caribou. Awesome. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, I love that approach. I love the concept of, you know, low key, instead of having to, instead of trying to give people the orange pill, just uh, basically dangle the carrot of saying, do you want more customers? Do you want more revenue? Sending a bunch of people with fully loaded chambers of orange pills and have each person walking in there, you know, slowly bring in more and more touch points. And I really think orange pilling best done is a low time reference endeavor. And um, I think it's sometimes easy to get really excited at what we know. And, um, you know, that this, this incessant desire to share it with others to know that it can imp radically improve their business and their life and so many things that it's easy to get really excited and actually, uh, you know, almost subtly take on a high time preference approach to it. But I, I really think that at the end of the day, if you can appeal to their incentives or their pain points, um, softly orange pilling them over a long period of time often builds the most, in my experience, it builds people with the most conviction when they do eventually, uh, yeah. you know, fully engage with Bitcoin. And I think that's actually a much long-term, a much more sustainable approach. So thanks for all the work you're doing yeah. and for sharing all that. You're welcome. Yeah, it's really interesting. So that those merchants who started off not interested in Bitcoin at all are probably our best Bitcoiners. In, in the merchant space, so it aligns with what you just said. And actually, one of my taglines is normalize, don't evangelize Bitcoin because of exactly what you said, Caribou, um, time and time again. I, we see Bitcoiners 
as you say, that they get overly enthusiastic. We Bitcoiners tend to forget how long it took them to fall down that rabbit hole. And then when they meet friends or family or someone new, they try and squeeze all of that knowledge into 10 minutes and then ram it into someone's into someone's brain and then don't understand why that's not working. Um, so yeah, completely aligned with what you were saying there. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. No worries. Um, so I'm going to invite uh, Tim. I know, Tim, you wanted to speak. You weren't sure if you're going to be available, but it seems like you're here. And then after Tim, uh, if anyone wants to share uh, their why, like why do they do this work? What work did they do if it's within the consulting space? And why do they see value in the Bitcoin consultant network? Um, you know, if anyone has a perspective to share, uh, feel free to do that after Tim's done talking. Um, so it looks like some people are raising their hands. So I'll keep mind of who's raising their hands first and then, uh, invite them up to speak. Uh, and then I'll give my, uh, kind of why, and then we can talk about maybe a little bit more about the, how, how do we collaborate? How do we actually make this, um, endeavor something that offers us value as consultants who can then work with each other. And how do we create something that gives value to people of the world who might, um, you know, be ready to speak to someone or to, might be ready to find a guide to bring them into the world of Bitcoin, whether that's someone putting it on, uh, you know, using it as a store of value or a business, or, you know, there's so many ways that this can um, positively affect people. So let's go with uh, Tim, and then uh, we'll go JCB and Sydney, and then we'll talk about the how. Tim. All right, Caribou, thank you so much. Thanks for being flexible. Thank you, Ben. Um, I'm just going to give a quick introduction to myself and then give my question or my request and then uh, keep it short and sweet. So uh, I've been an educator for almost 20 years in uh, central Illinois here in Midwest USA. Um, I've been uh, a Bitcoiner since 2018. I uh, started bit, uh, Lincoln Land Bitcoin meetup here in Springfield uh, just about three years ago now. Uh, wrote History Echoes Bitcoin. Uh, uh, just in this last year and have been uh, making uh, creating a module for wiser the Bitcoin education app so I feel like I uh, my strength is on the education side which is pretty much part of consultancy my uh, question or request is I'm sure I'm not the only one that is uh, strong in education but um, thank you my question and request is more for the business aspect, the entrepreneurial aspect, um, th that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to offer my services on the education side, but if you're familiar with, uh, what is that, Talladega Nights, uh, Will Ferrell, the gift world, I don't know what to do with my hands. When it comes to business, um, that's where I'm at. So uh, what I'm looking for out of this group is to figure out how I can take my skills and then be able to monetize it moving forward, being able to help others while also helping myself. Uh, like I said, I'll keep it short and sweet. Thank you guys for your time. Uh, that's all I have. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that this forum can do in terms of value can provide each of us is uh, by sharing our stories about how we're actually monetizing our uh, skill and giving value to the world and then creating frameworks for receiving that value back. I think that just creates templates that we can all, you know, if we, if together we create this giant menu of templates of how we make money doing this work, it empowers each of us to kind of look at those templates and choose what we want or choose what fits and aligns with the way we're doing it. And if someone presents their experience that closely aligns to what you aspire to be doing, uh, being able to connect with them one-on-one -on -one and just have conversations. I think really conversations, talking about this, this is still very new, uh, you know, 
everyone here is super early to the table and we're almost pioneering this work and we have to create what we envision um, the work to be that serves us and also serves the world. And I think this is just in real time being discovered and explored. And I think conversation is the medium where we can all level up our understanding, learn from each other, and also um, learn about ways people are doing this work um, that we might not have thought of. So yeah, thanks for that, Tim. Uh, JCB, floor is yours. Hello, nice to meet you guys. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Karibu, for all this work and gathering us here this Saturday morning for me. Uh, I'm in Mexico. Um, I'm half Mexican and half French. I'm also kind of older than most of the ones that are here. And I, I've been running, a, I've been in the telecom sector for almost 25 years, I, I may say. Uh, part of it working for the largest telecom in Latin America called America Mobile. The brand is Claro that some of you may know. And, but most of them are on my own working for them. So why do I say this? Because I've been running with my company, the, the top-up service for Claro in El Salvador. Claro is the, the largest mobile carrier there. And, uh, and when the, the law was announced in, in Miami conference in 2021, they came to me because they know that, that I like Bitcoin and that uh, I do know how it works. They came to me without knowing if the company was doing anything in Bitcoin. And, and they came to me and they say, how can you help us? Because we have two months to comply with the law and we really don't know what to do with this shit. We are not interested in Bitcoin. We want dollars, but we need to comply. And uh, so that was that. In the following two months, we made a proposal. And uh, the company had, of course, no expertise in, in Bitcoin in terms of developing. But as, a, as, as an individual, I, I have been running my node for a good part of two years. Uh, I know that I have a very good team. And I, I said, yes, I'm sure that we can do it without really knowing how to do it. And uh, and finally, like uh, mid-August, two weeks prior to the law coming into function, we got the bid uh, and, and we won. So we've been billing uh, the, the Claro El Salvador customers for two years. When, when you go to the mobile portal and you, and you want to top up your phone, you can pick up a, a card or go to the 7-Eleven or whatever convenience store to put dollars, or you can choose Bitcoin. And what, if they choose Bitcoin, we, we give them an invoice and, uh, and they pay. And that's been running very smoothly, I can say. Uh, being more than 20 years in the technical sector, uh, I worked for Silicon Graphics for a few years and for Oracle, and I'm kind of used of stuff not working, uh, but this thing works. I mean, of course, it has his issues. Of course, it's not perfect, but I can tell you that that it works, and, and, and it really fails very, very few times. We don't have a very, a very big volume, as you can imagine. I'm not allowed to say the numbers because these are pretty much all Claro's numbers, but I can tell you that it's steady. It, it goes up at some moments. Whenever there is a conference in, 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 in El Salvador, it goes up. Uh, whenever Bitcoin is in the news, it goes up. 
then whenever FTX and these guys fuck it up, it goes down. So it pretty much follows the, the sentiment of the whole world. Uh, even though we don't like to be associated with crypto, I think that we still are. And uh, and we just crossed a very, very interesting milestones. And that, that unfortunately, I cannot say. Some of my employees may be going to El Salvador to present. And uh, and it works. So we, we did that with a node that we set up. We, we've kind of been figuring out stuff all the, uh, as we've gone. And, uh, and that's what we can offer. I mean, like a real, uh, how can I say, a real experience on the floor with uh, handling liquidity, with handling a lot of things and, uh, and learning on the job with a technical team. Also, we, we've been doing, playing with the Benark LNURL stuff. So as I was listening now to Christopher Gordon, we, we have our own implementation in the back to, 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 to be able to receive Satoshis with uh, the point of sale that is not connected to anything. These are, these are more like uh, playing with it because we have not really developed that. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. So I, I I don't live in Mexico City. I live close to the city and uh, and my country. Even though I love it, I have to be clear that there are some things that that are kind of no no. And one of them may be like not to be very obvious that you like Bitcoin. So even though we have uh, meetups uh, from every month or like every two weeks, and and these Bitcoins vary very much, most of them are really attended by crypto people, but. I'm, I've been always dabbling with uh, doing like gatherings where I live because uh, it, my country can be dangerous in many ways. And, uh, and and if I become like the Bitcoin guy and Bitcoin goes up to 150 and whatever, or, or whenever it goes there, you know, I'm like, uh, I could be a target. So here, really, the, the thing is low profile. I, I have a very old car and I, I try to be not visible at all. So... We, we're trying to do that over Telegram and, and over, uh, how can I say, o- over other uh, digital mediums. And, and we know people and, 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 and we go together and, and I try to, to help people and to explain to them how it works. But I have not really found a way to teach anyone that, that, uh, that, that needs to have the, the, the knowledge or that wants to have the knowledge without doxing myself too much in person. And uh, I, I explained to my kids, I have a 16-year-old that is asking me now to tell all his friends, uh, and, and that can be a way. Another way is that as I, I just visited the largest landfill in the world, and, uh, and they have excess capacity of electricity and, and, and we may be able to put some things there. Uh, so I'm kind of looking into whatever can be done with Bitcoin in my country. And, uh, and the law is kind of clear in the sense that uh, Bitcoin is an asset. But if you're a company, you need to be careful because it's not really very well regulated. So TLDR... I'm in the tech part. We are. We have been running maybe one of the lar- the longest uh, Bitcoin uh, businesses in terms of uh, to person or largest. I, I, we we handle sometimes like four or five hundred uh, transactions per day, which I think it's a lot. <coughs> and uh, and that's it. I'm here to help you guys. Uh, I can do consulting also, but 
pretty much is if someone needs to get started, we have a node, we have a lot of liquidity, we can hook you up and, uh, and that's it. And I speak French, Spanish and English, of course. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Thanks, JCB. I think you bring up a good point at the end there where there's going to be a need for consultants and people who understand Bitcoin uh, that can speak in different languages because the reality is, you know, global money requires um, us to improve global literacy. And so I think even just, you know, I think there's so many benefits from this network, but even just one of them is number one, knowing other people uh, on a deeper level than just an email or a, a NIM on Nostra or Twitter. Um, who can help others, but two, knowing who speaks what languages so that if you ever get someone reaching out that speaks a language you don't, having a referral network of people who can speak that language is, you know, seemingly small, but also extremely important if we want to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way. Um, let's go with Sydney. Stage is yours. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Sydney Bright of Bright Minds Consulting. Uh, it's really a pleasure connecting with you all today. Um, I just want to briefly introduce myself and um, give a little bit about my why. Um, you know, I learned about Bitcoin around 2013. You know, at first I dismissed it, but um, at that time I was in high school and I was just that kind of kid who would come home and love reading, you know, Austrian economic books and, and dive deeply in the libertarian literature. And so the, you know, so why Bitcoin was very obvious to me and it, just took some years of me slowly watching it and slowly learning about the tech and slowly learning about what it truly was doing, where I started to really start to realize like, ah, oh, this is the answer to this subject that has always concerned me, um, you know, sort of since the dawn of my uh, intellectual life, you could say, um, you know, and what I started to do on the side um, for a long time, even around back then was I, I worked as a private teacher and the, the subject that I would, teach had kind of organically evolved as, as, as life went on. You know, at first I went to a Chinese immersion elementary school, so I speak fluent Chinese. And so at first, you know, I would just make a little bit of pocket money by either teaching an English speaker Chinese or a Chinese speaker English. And um, as my education evolved, uh, I studied anatomy and physiology and got a master's in biomedical engineering. Naturally, then clients started wanting more help with you know, math, science, physics, biology, whatever it might be, chemistry, um, you know, and then as, let's say this, this Bitcoin thing became more and more significant uh, part of my life. And I started to talk to more people about it. You know, you start to notice, oh, you, you have a family member that's interested in it. So you go to their home, you sit them down, you talk to them about what Bitcoin is, the nature of Bitcoin, the nature of self-custody, you teach them how important these things are. Um, you teach them the difference between Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies, whatever it is. And I've noticed that over time, that's starting to become just a conversation of having much more and, uh, you know, start to do it more professionally as well. And then at that point, I said, well, you know, I've been a private teacher for so long and the, the subject's always changing. And so I think it's only natural that it starts to evolve into this subject as well. And so, you know, the way um, I, I, I mostly focus that education and, um, and, uh, sorry, education and that sort of self custody solution, you know, finding the right solution for each person given their lifestyle and, uh, technical background, technical aptitude. Um, you know, and so I'm really looking forward to 
uh, you know, networking with you all and, and sort of learning from you all and, and having that be a part of helping us all just be even better at, um, you know, educating the way we're doing it. So, um, yeah, thank you, um, Ben, for starting this off and, and Caribou for the meeting and, you know, looking forward to see uh, where this all takes us. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Sydney. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Caribou. Uh, I live in Canada. I helped raise some Bitcoin for uh, Canadian truckers. We raised 21 Bitcoin, managed to personally deliver 14 of those Bitcoin to 100 truckers in envelopes. So that's kind of where uh, more people will know me from. But um, I come from the world of healthcare. I've lived, um, I'm formally trained as a physical therapist, spent the first part of my work career in what I actually later found out to be disease care, which is all about diagnosing and treating disease, nothing to do with health. Uh, ended up leaving that and moving into more healthcare, where it was more education, helping people understand how to take better care of themselves so that they didn't have to rely uh, on disease care. Um, I learned a bit Bitcoin in 2015 from a patient I was treating. It was actually a software engineer who had a shoulder problem. Big surprise. Um, and wouldn't stop talking about Bitcoin. So I finally just started looking into it and have been fascinated um, ever since. Uh, when I transitioned from disease care to health, I really kind of went down this deep rabbit hole of really understanding like what is the source of the health problem? And essentially that road led me to realize that health is really a downstream uh, artifact of money. And so I shifted my focus um, to more helping people understand how is money a pillar of health? Um, and the framework there is, well, if money is the tool that we use to store our time in, and everyone seems to not be able to spend time on their health because they say they don't have the time. That was the answer that I was getting most frequently from people who were having issues with their health. And I would just ask, you know, what do you think is stopping you from improving your health? I don't have the time. And quickly realized that if people don't store their money or don't store their time in a tool that uh, protects that time and that time's constantly being stolen, they never have time to actually take care of themselves. And so that's what really made me realize, wow, I'm trying to solve this problem, which is really in and of itself a symptom of uh, poor money. And so uh, I still do work with a health network that's specialized with feet. I'm kind of, you know, low time preference, priming them the whole network to really um, understand Bitcoin and be able to adopt it as a payment network because they are a global network. Uh, they need global money because right now the payment networks they use are kind of creating friction. Um, and, you know, even to the point where we have the we've sort of gamified uh, health within the digital community that they've built to the point where we actually call the points that people get for showing up and engaging with each other uh, PowerPoints, which stands for proof of work reward points. And the goal is to actually make those uh, be able to be converted into sats eventually and have sats be the um, sort of the value token that is used by this network. So I still do work in that respect. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work for the past couple of years to just help family CEOs. So head of households understand Bitcoin and put it on their family balance sheet and sort of understand all the nuance of how to custody those funds, how to manage their own keys, how to put in place an inherent strategy, an inheritance strategy, uh, for if something happens to them. And so it really made me realize the, the deep nuance that's required to really help people understand this and be comfortable enough to actually adopt it as, as the, um, tool that they use to store their time and store their life force energy. Um, I also help businesses integrate Bitcoin as a treasury asset. And I think from my experience, that's been the place that we start before we even talk about using it as a, a payment network. But I think inevitably 
um, those businesses end up asking, you know, how can I start to receive Bitcoin payments? And so to me, it's, you know, the old saying of where your money goes, your mind follows. If you can get, you know, I start with just these head of households putting Bitcoin on their family balance sheet, then they inevitably ask, how can I put this on my business balance sheet? And then they've started to ask now, how do I integrate this as a payment method? Um, recent piece of work I did was for someone who I had walked through that process, uh, who is a general contractor. And I recently drafted two letters, one for his clients, one for his trades that he works with that basically outlined, uh, it was kind of like a soft orange pill, but also offering them the opportunity um, to for trades to receive payment in Bitcoin and for clients to actually send payment in Bitcoin. Um, and so that was an interesting exercise because it basically said, here are the payment, you know, from his perspective as a general contractor, the letter to clients said, I can accept these three payments. I can accept a bank, legacy banking system, check or, or wire transfer. Um, and I have to, you know, have to charge you taxes. I have to cover my um, transmis transmission costs, my banking costs. Option number two, I can receive payment in cash, which is more private um, and offers a discount because I don't have to pay those transmission fees. And then third, I can receive payment in Bitcoin, which offers a discount to what you would pay in uh, the other two methods is faster and is more private. And just sending that out there, whether or not his clients actually take him up on that, you know, on that letter also said, you know, as a company, we've adopted Bitcoin as a treasury asset to protect ourselves from hyperinflation and to preserve our time. And just the fact that a client will read that letter, whether or not they actually adopt it or pay in Bitcoin, although there is an incentive to pay in Bitcoin because there's actually a discount now. So there's a financial incentive for them to learn about Bitcoin. It's still a soft touch point. Uh, and then he makes sure to write on there. We made sure to write on the letter. If you want to learn more, I can refer you to someone who can help. And then his incentive is that if he refers me more work, whatever billings come about from any referral, I send him uh, 210 basis points or 2.1% in as a referral thank you um, in SATs. And so there's already kind of this incentive structure where he is now incentivized to receive Bitcoin for his company. He's also incentivized to create or, or help to bring people to a state of readiness where they want to learn more about Bitcoin. And if he brings them in my direction, he knows that I have the capacity and the ability to bring them down that, to kind of guide them down that journey. Uh, and he's also financially incentivized because any billings that are generated from people he refers to me, he gets sent 2.1% of those billings in sets. And so there's already kind of this network ecosystem um, growing, doing it low time preference. But I think the last thing I want to say is just the similarity that I found with um, health and Bitcoin in that they are both journeys that we engage with over a lifetime. They are not some destination that we reach and we no longer have to do anything with. Um, and I think with, with change, change is really hard, right? If people are used to living in this fiat world, changing to a completely different world is very difficult. Um, just like if people are used to living in this world of um, sort of disease care where their health is someone else's responsibility, it's really hard for them to make the switch to health is my responsibility. Uh, I can find people that can help guide me along the way, but I, I they can't do the work for me. I think there's a big similarity there. Um, and I think change is hard and it happens in one of two ways in my experience, through pain or through curiosity. And I think the challenge for me as a consultant when I have conversations with people is to ask a lot of questions to understand their pain points and then and then help them understand how a lot of those pain points relate to corrupt manipulated money and then present bitcoin as a solution and an alternative and so it's less about telling them about bitcoin and more about 
you know, discovery calls that I do are all about asking questions. I try and actually make a goal to only ask questions on my first call with someone for 30 minutes uh, and not give any answers, not tell them anything, um, not give them any fixes, just simply deeply understand their pain points and what they're trying to do. And then have that simmer in my mind a little bit and then present to them a proposal to say, okay, these pain points might be related to this. Here are some solutions that we can start to look at uh, and then kind of help them navigate the journey to, you know, how do they develop a strategy? How do they execute on that strategy? How do they, you know, integrating it as a treasury asset in a small business requires the self-custody strategy. Uh, and so trying to do all of that in alignment with the Bitcoin philosophy of hold and manage your own keys, act in alignment um, with sort of the value set of Bitcoin, truth, freedom, sovereignty, and personal responsibility. So sometimes it's a hard sell, but you know, in my day-to-day -day life where I am, I go every business I interact with in my local area, I tip everyone in Bitcoin. So I send them 21 sats every time I buy something from them. It's not a lot. And for some people, it seems like a gimmick, but a certain subset of those people have asked me, you know, tell me more about this Bitcoin thing. And then it's just about me understanding where they are and what is the best resource for them at this point in time and helping them navigate that lifelong journey of understanding Bitcoin, incorporating it into their lives and helping them reach the threshold where now they're like, I actually see that it's risky to be still be in the fiat system. So I want help really starting to transition in mass my time and energy into sound money. Um, it's the most fulfilling work I've ever done. And that's why I really want to uh, engage with this full time. And selfishly, I want to be around really smart people who know way more about me and who have their own specialties so that I can refer out uh, or just hire them. Right. I want to be able to pay someone who understands how to integrate a small business um, into Bitcoin who doesn't live where I live. I want to be able to pay them an hourly rate to learn from them how I actually bring this small business onto the Lightning Network, because right now that's not part of my skill and expertise, but I want to be around uh, a team of people who find meaning in this work, who are doing this work and who have subset specialties of their own that I can learn from. So that's my shtick. Um, if anyone else, I know Oscar came late. If anyone else wants to talk about their why, we can open it up for that. Otherwise, uh, I'd like to start talking about the how and maybe even starting with um, a question to Ben. Uh, well, let's give it a sec, see if anyone else wants to come on stage, talk about their why. Give it five seconds. Awesome. So question for Ben. Ben, you had mentioned at the start that you want to be able to refer people. You know, if you have more work coming your way, then you have the bandwidth to do. Uh, and you want to be able to have a network of people to refer to so that that person is in good hands, gets the help they need. Um, and so that you don't have to, you know, so that's not a wasted opportunity. How do we, how do we gain an understanding of who is actually qualified and competent to do that work? Because in the world of health, I found this quite often. It was really beneficial for me to form a network of health professionals who aligned with me philosophically on how I treat, which is educate the patient, help empower them with an understanding so that they can take responsibility for their own health. And it looked bad on me if I referred them to someone who didn't act in alignment with that, who really wanted to create a dependent relationship where it was like, you must come to me. I hold the keys to your health. I'm going to fix you. And there was really no short, apart from creating sort of like a philosophy of in, in um, tenets, like sort of guiding principles in a list that I could say, hey, you know, health professional X, do you align with these principles on a, on a philosophical basis? Is your treatment... Uh, all wrapped around educating your patients. If yes, then I can feel comfortable referring to you. But you know, how do we how do we do that? How do we establish, I guess, some standard of ability 
in a decentralized way, in a voluntary way, I'd love to hear any ideas you've got, Ben, or things that have gone through your head and then invite anyone else to contribute to that conversation. Yeah, thanks. It's actually, it's a really good question. I think it's actually a difficult thing. Um, and perhaps to use your example with healthcare professionals, um, you know, at least there is centralized bodies around healthcare. So if somebody is a medical doctor, you know that they have a certain set of skills. Um, they then might or might not align with you ethically, and that's where you have to then, you know, take a look. With something like Bitcoin consulting, you know, I think we have to be a bit more careful because there are going to be people out there, maybe even some people on this call, I don't want to say yes or no or whatever, you know, I don't know half of the people on this call. You know, maybe there are some people on this call who really know next to nothing about Bitcoin. And if I refer a client to them, they're going to say something like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, I use Coinbase and Coinbase is great. And, you know, you just buy it there and, uh, you know, you can buy it and then sell it for more money later. And, yeah, you should keep it on Coinbase because it's easier to sell quickly. You know, there could be somebody like that. I don't want to refer to somebody like that, obviously. Um, but how do we find out who those people are, you know, or more the other way around, how do we find out who um, you know, aren't those kind of people? How do we find out who are the people who actually know what they're talking about? I don't think there's an easy way because there is no centralized body. There is no um, um, authoritative uh, certification body or anything like that. I'm also not actually sure such a thing would be a good thing. I think it would actually be a bad thing to have something like that. But it does leave us in the conundrum that we can't easily just point to a particular certificate and say, yeah, they've got the certificate. They know what they're talking about. Um, it just doesn't work that way. So I think what we're going to have to do is essentially do it the hard way, the slow way, um, reputation-based. We're going to have to talk to each other. We're going to have to get to know each other. We're going to have to figure out, you know, who we trust and even, you know, build it as a web of trust. So, you know, um, let's say, you know, I get to know you, Caribou, really, really well, um, and then you recommend somebody else, then purely based on your recommendation, I'm probably going to be a lot more comfortable with them um, because, you know, I trust you a lot after having gotten to know you, and then, you know, I would trust your recommendation. So a kind of web of trust model, I think, is probably the only thing that's going to work realistically, um, but it is something which is going to take time to build. And I think uh, you know, your idea of having this call um, once a month, I think is a really good thing. And of course, you know, individual calls and discussions and so on in between those is going to help a lot as well. So unfortunately, I can't offer more ideas than that, but I think that's probably, you know, a good place to start at least. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Ben. And I think this call well done should actually leave us with more questions at the end than answers. Uh, and I can speak to the, you know, that web of trust, I think is really powerful because it actually decentralizes, you know, each person. Um, and this was kind of like the idea in my brain is like, okay, we start out with two people, literally, that know each other, trust each other, have shared proof of work, you know, have shared work that they've done that they may not be able to share publicly because it's confidential. Um, but, you know, in an hour conversation with someone asking the right questions, I think you can tell a lot about their skill set and ability and, you know, asking them for proof of work of what they've done. Like, you know, for example, Santosh sharing the work that he's done and how he's gone about it, I think is very powerful. And you can almost tell through the confidence of how someone speaks and their ability to answer questions that, you know, haven't been given to them in advance. Because I went through this myself. I was like, I want in my personal area, I want 
uh, people of different specialties who I can refer to. I want a psychologist. I want an MD. Uh, I want someone who is a personal trainer. I want a massage therapist. And I realized very quickly that the only way that I could actually vet those people was by finding someone seeing if they align philosophically based on what their website said and then going to have a coffee with them and by asking the right questions i got a really good take on do we speak the same language of how we see treating patients as optimal once i had that web i felt really good referring people and once in a while i would send a patient to a massage therapist they would come back to me i would say how was your experience with so-and-so and that was the sort of feedback loop to close that web of trust with them and you know, this was sort of the idea of the Satoshi oath, something like um, a Bitcoiners oath, where as a consultant, how can we create sort of this governing um, set of principles that we all align with and that we can all aspire to hold ourselves to? So, yeah, I think that web of trust model makes a lot of sense. I think the notion of doing a call uh, on the 21st of each month. Um, and having different people speak about different cases that they've done. They don't have to mention names or specifics, but literally just sharing proof of work of I, and, and even I think there's strength, you know, when I worked in hospitals, we would do rounds every morning when I was on a surgical floor in a hospital. And it was basically where a doctor or, a, you know, any professional that was there, it was a multidisciplinary panel. Someone would say, I have this case, I have this friction point, you know, everyone would weigh in with their perspective. And at the end, we would have a much better, um, option set of things to do than if just that one person came up with it themselves. So whether it's just like a case breakdown where we kind of dissect a piece of work that someone's working on or sharing stories, I think the power of story is very important where we just share a work project we're doing, not mentioning any names, but putting it into the public forum, into a podcast as a way to open source this to inspire maybe more people to participate. So yeah, I think the web of the decentralized web of trust, doing it the old fashioned human way. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's the path. How that actually gets executed, I don't know, but this is a good start. Um, I'd like to invite anyone else who has any ideas. No idea is a bad idea. Um, if you have any thoughts on this, please, please come up to the stage. I'll just take a quick stab here. Uh, Appreciate all the thoughts so far, Caribou and Ben. Um, we've sort of toyed around with this idea of the how in our in our chat so far. And um, I wouldn't say I have a groundbreaking idea that's going to solve, resolve our conundrum here. And I do definitely align with sort of, we have to take a work of, or sort of proof of work approach amongst ourselves, aside from just the proof of work we've built separately in order to sort of move this along. And I'm sure as we get to know each other, we'll probably in some brainstorming session, we may have that light bulb moment that say, you know what, this could help. But I am aligned with sort of the initial take on we just have we need to spend time with one another, get to know each other's strengths, weaknesses, our sort of values. I mean, I, it's fair to say that we have similar values, the fact that we have us almost 17 individuals on the call, uh, 16 now. So I like the fact that you proposed a monthly call and apologies for the sound. Um, time will sort of do its thing and we'll grow stronger and better. And I'm looking forward to how that sort of pans out. And if I do come up, come across a, an ingenious idea that can help us vet individuals, then um, I'll be the first to share.
Awesome. Thanks for that, Santosh. And that was, you know, the preliminary sort of vetting idea was uh, a podcast. Um, and I, I still think that that should be a, a one on the table as an option where, you know, it might be hard for us all to vet every single person. And I think it defeats the purpose of building a network where there's this trust web where it's like, like Ben said, if, you know, if Ben says Santosh knows what he's talking about and refer to client and they had a good experience, then I can sort of by default trust in Ben's ability to vet Santosh and then also refer to him. And I think having a directory where, you know, we have people listed who each have their own individual specialty. And, you know, oftentimes I would actually ask those health professionals like, okay, I've got this patient and this issue. How would you treat that? And so even starting with the conversation with someone saying, hey, I have this case I need a little bit of help with. How would you go about helping this person? Hearing what they say, not necessarily sending that person to that person right away. Uh, and then saying, wow, it sounds like you really know what you're talking about. I think I'd just rather send this person to you. I know they're going to be in good hands. Um, but the idea of a podcast of each of us being able to share our story, share some of the work we've done, share what our specialty is. Because like I said, I think there's a lot of value in being a generalist with a specialty and always trying to expand our ability as a generalist and understanding as a generalist, but also having a really you know, deep, deep understanding of a specialty so that we can be the person um, that others refer to regarding that subset specialty. Um, and yeah, I think if we're all Bitcoiners, uh, at least, you know, superficially after one call, we know that we each value this work. Um, but having sort of like binding precepts, I think there's something interesting about that. So maybe the Telegram chat would be a good place to put it. Um, I'm sort of selfishly trying to build my own team to handle some of the work that's coming my way that I can't personally handle right now because the scale or the the ability set is just too broad. That's kind of the um, goal with Finney 21 is to assemble 21 people who all have their own specialty. We can all learn from each other. So it's, it's very similar to what we're doing with Bitcoin Consulting Network, but we had created this initial sort of oath where everyone uh, you know lives in alignment with Bitcoin, empowers people to self-custody, they hold and manage their own keys, they run a node to verify their own balance, they contribute something to open source projects to put knowledge out into the world, uh, and they take full responsibility for spreading truth and verifying truth. And that was like our initial sort of oath, I guess, that's still evolving. But something like that, that kind of acts as a self-selecting mechanism so that anyone who comes to these calls aligns with these um, sort of values, these principles. And I think they should be broad enough that it's not exclusive and excludes people, but also specific enough that there's no wiggle room where, you know, if someone doesn't uh, act in alignment with those things, word gets around and it's kind of like village mentality, right? If you live in a village of a hundred people, someone does something stupid or fucked up, everyone else kind of holds that person accountable. Maybe they don't kick him out, but they say, you know, if you, you got to get this straight, if you do it again, that goes against our tribe values. And you're going to be kicked out if you don't um, sort of, you know, get your act together. Rulers not, or rules, not rulers, right? The, the goal with the sort of got the tenants or the Satoshocratic oath, like we're calling it is we agree on a consensus set of rules so that there are no police or rulers. It's literally just us making sure that we hold each other accountable and ourselves accountable. So yeah, thanks for that, Santosh. Jason? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering if anyone knows of any existing web of trust tools that exist. Um, I know John Carvalho of Synonym, uh, they've kind of put a lot of thought into it. They don't have anything publicly available. Maybe we could reach out to them and say, hey, is there some 
basic framework that you would recommend we start playing with, whether it's, you know, just a Google spreadsheet or some, some rudimentary tool that we could start down that process, which would also help another Bitcoin company, you know, develop their process as they work through figuring something like this out. Maybe we could be a guinea pig if they have some early alpha that we could test with, or if there's some other tools that might exist out there in the world. That's all. That's a great idea. Thanks, Jason. Jeremiah? Yeah, uh, just been listening along. Uh, one thing I think I might be able to offer just to help maybe pull a few of these threads together. I have a, a background uh, in professional and personal coaching. Um, I'll, excuse me, although not quite specific to uh, consulting, I think the framework applies. So in the world of coaching, there is uh, an international uh, governing body, uh, the ICF, and they have a set of core competencies that uh, if you join ICF that you, you adhere to. Uh, coaching, very similar to consulting, brings people from a variety of backgrounds, uh, uh, experiences to the coaching practice. And um, this set of core competencies uh, are very general. Uh, they, they allow anyone to kind of come at coaching from a variety of different vantage points, uh, but still adhere to a framework. And it, I, I thought of it prior to this call, kind of just some of the chatting uh, on on the uh, on the group. Uh, but it was, I think maybe Caribou mentioned, uh, you know, just uh, uh, there were, there someone made a mention to to like you know the Coinbase. Um, it's it's things like that where you can have generally accepted uh, core competencies, values that we all sort of hold um, and, and not have it be so uh, rigid that it it uh, uh, prevents one consultant from being able to practice. But these are just very overarching principles. And being in this world, uh, I think we all could come up with a fairly short list uh, pretty quickly of things that you know, we would all want to see, regardless of the type of consulting any one of us might be doing, that we would want to hold each, hold ourselves, but hold each and every one of us to a to a certain uh, standard. Um, I will pull a couple of the uh, just the the frameworks just just for illustration point. I'll I'll put them into the Telegram chat. But anyway, I don't know if that uh, makes it makes sense. Uh, but I, I think from my perspective, having at least a, a short list of of uh, competencies in addition to the sort of the proof of work model that's sort of been uh, talked about might might be a good idea. I agree. And I, I think there's actually value we can offer to people who find the Bitcoin Consulting Network and are seeking a consultant. Because if we have some, like you said, baseline competency standard and some way of measuring and vetting without it being too onerous, and I think spending an exorbitant amount of time thinking about and talking about this before we actually make any decision is probably the path to do it with. But the value that, um, you know, a small business owner who maybe looks up literally Google searches Bitcoin consultant, if Bitcoin consultant network, some sort of landing page shows up, the idea that they can then find someone who is in their time zone, who has a specialty that aligns with whatever problem they're trying to solve. And the fact that they can know that some sort of baseline competency has already been sort of pre-vetted through a web of trust 
I think there's a lot of value there because I think um, two things come to mind. Number one, I want good consultants to be paid well for their work and to get a lot of work, right? Like I want every person who has a big Bitcoin problem to solve to go to someone like Ben because the experience they have actually um, says it actually washes out on Bitcoin as a whole, right? If they go to a consultant, they tell them to buy their Bitcoin on Coinbase, they get rugged in some way or, or something bad happens. That looks bad on Bitcoin. So I think all of us should have the interest in, you know, I want people to go to qualified, I, I shouldn't even say qualified. I want them to go to Bitcoin consultants who will act in alignment with Bitcoin and have the ability to truly help them solve their problem in a meaningful way that is in alignment with Bitcoin. That's kind of a tall order to fill. But I think having some sort of um, baseline competency vetting of some sort, what that is, I don't know, uh, in order for people to get some, you know, maybe it's maybe we list a bunch of people on the directory or even on the Google sheet as it is right now. Maybe that is our landing page. Um, and maybe once someone has been sort of vetted in a web of trust and had conversations with other consultants on there, maybe they get some little mark beside their name that says this person has talked to three other consultants who are doing actively doing consulting work and they have the baseline competency. I don't that could be an idea, but I think the notion that we can provide value to the world of people who will need, lots of people will need Bitcoin consultants. Like there is so much fucking work to do in the coming decade. And the idea that we can provide value to people seeking consultants who can do great work for them by sort of doing some pre-vetting provides value to that person who, who, who can then be directed towards someone who uses that opportunity well and doesn't give them a shitty experience that leaves a sour taste in their mouth with Bitcoin. And also having some sort of way to essentially make sure that the the most badass qualified, not qualified, sorry, I keep using that word. I'll, I'll, I'll catch myself. The most effective consultants, I want them to get the most work and be compensated uh, the best for their expertise. And so how do we create a way so that the best, the most effective consultants that have the deepest proof of work and the deepest understanding are the ones who are compensated for their time and energy uh, and who get the most work, because I think that looks good on all of us. So again, don't know the answers, but I think the value we can provide to people seeking a consultant is that we can do some sort of consensus-based pre-vetting so that baseline abilities have been checked off. Um, and you know, maybe if you have a list of consultants and 25% of them have this little check mark where they've done some sort of proof of work or they've talked to a bunch of other consultants, you know, you can choose from anyone, but knowing that they have some sort of check mark that has been vetted by other people who are actively doing proof of work, you know, there's something there where that person is probably going to get more work because they have that than the person who doesn't. And it doesn't exclude anyone who wants to do Bitcoin consulting from being listed on the on the Bitcoin consultant directory. But it does provide like an extra layer of vetting that we don't have that, that there's no central governing authority to do that. Maybe it's like, I don't know. It's like Ben said, it's not an easy problem to solve, but I think it's super important because it gives us the confidence to refer to each other. Um, and it gives clients the confidence to be able to connect with a consultant who they know has had to go through some vetting process with other consultants. So, Ben? Yeah, this conversation just kind of gave me a, a crazy idea. And this is literally just off the top of my head now. So, you know, anyone feel free to tell me I'm crazy or whatever. But I can, I just imagined a very simple website that you know any of any of us who have um, web development skills could build. That's probably not me. I have no um, front end skills at all. I'm more of a back end guy. But um, a website where 
we have essentially that same list that we've got on that Google sheet, um, but some way that we can go in and sign with a private key to show um, support for another um, consultant. That way, we really do have the decentralized approach. We have the way where we can say, um, you know, it, I'm proving that I actually signed to say Caribou is a good consultant. You can trust him. And those number of signatures essentially give a ranking to that consultant. So anyone can add their name to the list. But then, you know, when you add your name, when you add yourself to the directory, um, you supply your public key and um, you can go and sign with your private key to add support for other people. Um, how's that as an idea? You know, taking public key cryptography and actually using it as support. I think it's brilliant. I don't know how the fuck that works in a technical context, but as just as you explaining it, it's like, that makes a whole lot of sense. Like if I could look up Ben and see five other people that I can look up individuals individually, see the work that they're doing or even contact and see, wow, Ben's got a, you know, a private key sign off from consultant A, B, C, D, E, F. It seems like they've got some proof of work and they've got connections. I think it's brilliant. I don't know how it gets executed, but I think it's a, it's a good seed that you planted there. So yeah, architecting that is something I could definitely I could write up a description of you know, how it works. Um, I just need to work with a web dev to actually build it. Awesome. Just I do know a Bitcoiner who does website design. He did the website for Finney 21. He's not super deep in his skill set, but he's a really good fixer and he's a Bitcoiner. So I can connect that if we need to. I was just going to say, uh, just being adversarial thinker, as we typically are, all are, uh, and I'm not saying we didn't try it, but you could run into an issue potentially where, you know, someone signs up themselves 20 times and then vouches for themselves as 20 other uh, consultants. But I don't think we have that problem yet. So probably not worth dwelling over it. Just throwing it out there to consider long term. Yep, that's definitely a big consideration. But actually, what would be interesting is it would be very visible, like um, we'd have to have some kind of visualization for it, you know, um, some kind of, uh, you know, nice database back in but we could visualize very easily that that's an a extremely closed little web so you know there's these 20 people who all magically vouch for each other but nobody else vouches for them and they don't vouch for anyone outside so it becomes this little closed group and i think that would be kind of a giveaway that there's maybe a problem there not sure but you know that's just my initial kind of thought with that yeah, I think it's worth trying because, I mean, if we figure it out, it provides value to so many other areas, you know, and that's a whole another area we can be a consultant as like, oh, here, you want a way with trust of your own? Here's how we did it. So. JCB. <clears throat> hey, I think that it can be done very easily with Nostr. Uh, we just have to, to associate it whatever handle that we're using now in telegram with a Nostr handle and 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 then there you have your your private keys and public keys and then at least you remediate the issue that ben was just saying that people can sign or someone else won't say that people can sign many times and uh i i think that that we have a i mean a solution there uh i don't know how it would be done but but i think that that it could be done very simple way uh maybe even telegram has some kind of signature stuff 
And I think it's a brilliant idea. I mean, it's uh, uh, the, the problem is that sometimes to show the credentials of some people, it, it's hard. But at least he, once we get to know each other and, 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 and we see that at least we're not uh, saying like very stupid things and things like that, it, it, it should work. But this again, And it will take time, and uh, but I, I think that we have time. I mean, th this is a very long process. Yeah, and you know what comes to mind there is like every time two of us have have a conversation together. So, say I jump on a call for an hour with Santosh, and we exchange stories. We're learning from each other. There's almost like one unit of vetting that has happened bi-directionally there where I now know Shantosh on a deeper level, have heard his stories and probably get an idea of his competency and likewise for him to me. And, you know, there's something there. It's like, how do we use encryption to make sure that we validate that if we, you know, only us can put that check mark, but there's something there because what that serves as is like, again, part of that web of trust, me having a conversation with Santosh, Santosh having a conversation for, with me if one other person in the network has a conversation with me and they get to know who I am and sort of how I ask questions to people or, you know, my skill set, then my conversation with Santosh kind of acts, they can then validate my conversation with Santos as a proxy for them to be able to trust Santosh. So I think this is, I mean, this is how it was done in person, right? But the idea that every conversation that happens with two people has some value to sort of verifying that person as part of the sort of unit, I guess, this web of trust. And obviously, if we do a call each month, I'm good to committing to doing a call on the 21st day of each month from 12, uh, for, or it'll either be 10 to 12 or 12 to 2, I haven't decided yet. But the idea that whoever's showing up on these calls and sharing and speaking, you know, there's some, there's some value there as well. And just the fact that these podcasts go into the public domain at Bitcoin Stoa means that anyone can literally go listen to these and hear someone speak, right? And I think it would be good to cycle through um, topics on these calls and cycle through speakers where someone kind of volunteers to either share a story, share a case study of something they're working on. And I think just that putting that into the public domain gives good uh, front facing sort of vetting where it's like proof of work by literally speaking about the work you're doing. But yeah, I think the idea of a directory and using cryptography to sort of build that, I think it's, I think that's awesome. Does anyone else have anything to share? I mean, we've been going for an hour and 40 minutes. Maybe that's sort of the cap for today. Um, today's session, I can put kind of like a little, oh. I'll just add one more thing to that um, idea. Um, it, it seems like it that works great internally, but now I'm, I'm curious, would clients, potential clients, even know what a private key is? What does it mean when someone signs this? Or is it just, they're taking our word for it. Here's a website that has check marks. So trust us. Probably initially, it's just a referral network for us in the Bitcoin consulting network. And I think that's probably the best place to start it. That was sort of the inception of Ben's idea of I want to know people who have a specialty. That's something I don't do that I can feel confident referring to. And if we just orient around that initial objective, which is onerous enough, I think from there, um, you know, the other stuff, the client facing stuff might come later, but I think, um, for the most part, I think if we just oriented around building our own referral network that we can feel confident referring to other people 
you know, even if we haven't had a real deep conversation with them because someone else that we have had a conversation with has, I think there's yeah. value to that. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Thanks. Santosh or JCB, whoever wants to chat. Just a quick mention about the Satoshi Krati code you brought up earlier, Caribou. Um, food for thought, maybe since many of us sort of have a list of values that we try to adhere to in our current consulting, non-consulting, whatever the definition you want to use, it might be worthwhile for us to share what those values are now. And we could sort of crowdsource the different values the group sort of is leaning towards. I mean, the one that you shared for Fini 21 um, seemed like a great start, but I feel as we maybe share our individual values, we can build a collective value list that could form, or we could come con to consensus for the entire group. Um, but yeah, just food for thought. I agree. Do we want to kick that off now and just go around informally and maybe say one or two points that really act as guiding principles for us individually? Uh, we can. Uh, I guess that kind of puts me in the hot seat then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since I brought this up, uh, I will say first and foremost, when I'm on the street speaking with anyone, friends, family members, strangers, I refrain from speaking about price. I am extremely price neutral. Um, and the reason behind that is I try to convey one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. And the moment you start valuing it in something else that isn't Bitcoin, you sort of lost your way. Maybe I'm a little idealistic in that, but that's sort of value number one is I try to refrain from any price related conversations. Value number two, I would say is education should be open source. And I don't want to be making money from educating others on the streets. I'm sure there's levels. If I'm giving my individual time, then absolutely. I'd like to be reimbursed for that time. Uh, but if I just have public domain items or just digital books that I sell, all of that, I personally believe should just be available for all because the more it's open sourced, let's just leave it to digital content. Uh, that just means there's more individuals that could find the orange way and can kickstart their journey and doesn't impede in their individual progress. I'll leave it at those two. Beautiful. I guess I can go next. Um, I manage my own keys and everything I do with individuals, uh, revolves around empowering them to understand how to self custody. If they're not there right away, it's, you know, bringing them along the path to get there. So really, you know, leading by example and custodying and, and sort of, um, managing my own private keys and then having everything I do for individuals orient and even small businesses, frankly, orient around them, eventually taking full responsibility for their own keys. So I guess I could jump in with a couple from myself. So gee, I'll, I'll echo what so far both people have said, but uh, to expand on uh, one thing Santosh said there, um, I actually not only don't talk about price, I actually don't call it price either. If somebody brings up the topic, I'm always very careful to call it an exchange rate um, because I think the term price implies a non-monetary asset, whereas exchange rate implies exchange rate between two kinds of money. Um, so that's just a personal thing, which I do. And uh, 
you know, it, it tends to work out pretty well for me. Um, but yeah, so I think self-custody um, is you know, an incredibly worthy goal there. For me, another very big one with um, uh, implementing it in products for so with larger customers where I'm helping them in, on an implementation project. Um, one goal that I always have in mind is that um, they are not um, custodying somebody else's money without uh, permission. So essentially, they need to have, um, you know, if so, they are holding somebody else's money, even temporarily, um, they, if they have control over somebody else's Bitcoin, that needs to be made clear to the person. So, you know, their customers need to know at what stage the money is um, in their hands versus in the customer's hands and so on. So I will not help somebody create something which looks like um, the customer has control over funds when they really don't. So uh, I guess that's your know, transparency to my customers, customers. I'd be happy to go. Um, you know, uh, a value that's just super important to me in my own personal life is honesty. Um, you know, to me, that's everything. And even with clients, you know, approaching it with sincerity, uh, you know, is, is of the utmost to me. I think when it comes to education too, and finding the right, you know, self-custody solutions for people, um, you know, everyone sort of has the, the different angle that can help them have the light bulb turn on, let's say. And everyone has like a, a different approach or a different method that works right for them. And so I think, you know, in my education practice, um, it, you know, I, I, I aim to, you know, be like water. You know, you just take the form of the cup that they need the most so you can say the right thing to help them understand. So you, you really have to listen and, and see where they're coming from. And, and I think that sort of uh, really personalized one-to-one um, um, -one relationship is, is you know, how you really, um, you know, help them see what, what, they're, what you're trying to help them see. And so... Um, yeah, I guess that's the way I approach things and, and that's the way I um, think about it. Uh, I think that, hey, if I can jump in, uh, one important thing that, that we need to, to do and that I myself forget a lot of times is that we need to try to meet people where they are. And, and sometimes it's very difficult to know where they are because uh, like, for example, in Mexico, there are some things like kind of the value of money, even though most people don't know really what money is, but the the anything that goes against the government or the value of money can be easier to understand. But but really every single person has a different story and, and, uh, and, and the how is like, how do we really know where they are? And 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 I think that that part is 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 very difficult. I I gather with a group of other entrepreneurs, the, like every month, and we've been gathering like for 15, 20, almost fifteen years, and uh and these are very very successful people. Some of them made a lot of money selling their companies, and and of course they don't have a need for Bitcoin themselves. And uh, one of them that I think that was the most conservative in many ways, not only in, 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 in his mind, but in financial, he was the CTO, no, C, the CFO and then the CEO of a company. The, the thing that made him click 
was, uh, I don't know if it was because it happened to him or someone else, but the Mexican IRS froze the, the, the accounts of someone that he knew or someone in his family. And his questions were like, so you're really telling me that this cannot be, and this cannot be frozen and this cannot, and so he, and he started to go that way. And then I stopped seeing him like for many months, COVID and, and, and things. And, and then he came back and, and he said to me that he had purchased a lot of Bitcoin. He bought a, he bought an ETN. I think he didn't buy the, the thing. And because now that, now he saw that, that, that there was a value and, uh, and, but he was not ready to custody himself because being very uh, careful and conservative and, and the company and, and he thinks that still the banks are better than him, but he knows that there's people that may be in trouble and may get their accounts frozen. And so, there's so he saw a value to the assets. So this really struck me like, okay, he understands that that he cannot be frozen, but he's going and, and he's buying the, the bank stuff. And, uh, and then I saw like, okay, he understood that it has value for someone, maybe not for him today. And, and that value for someone may rise. So I think that the next step for this guy will be to get some Bitcoin in, and have it in self-custody. I don't know how much he bought. I think he bought a lot because he said that it was there for 10 years and, 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 uh, and, and he was not worried that it was going down. I think he's, he's on, under right now, but but it's like it's very difficult to know where people are, and uh, and 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 even it's very difficult to know which kind of questions ask for people because sometimes you don't really want to show that you are ignorant in one topic or another, in particularly the the money uh, topic, and that's something that I've been finding very very difficult. Really well said, and I think the just the guiding principle of aspiring to deeply understand clients before offering any advice is probably a good thing for us to hold ourselves to and remember because i think i completely agree where it's really easy to project our solutions onto people who seemingly have a similar problem but without actually understanding them and their unique circumstances um it's unwise i think to offer recommendations without like deeply truly understanding the person and that i think is what enables us to meet them where they are um and maybe even just before we go on i think i'll propose the next call for november 21st we'll focus on uh two topics um questions we ask people who are first coming to us for help uh, and just sharing the question the common questions that we ask and number number two the business of consulting how do we actually make money doing this so i just want to put that there while it was fresh on mind but um yeah the idea of asking a lot of questions before ever <laughs> offering any advice is probably a good principle for us all tanya feel free to go if you like and thank you again. I just wanted to share, I am from class of 2017. I was very much interested in Bitcoin. And when this started, the first thing that I helped people with was self-custody. And that is how I ended up working for Bitbox. So I would like to share that from that standpoint, it is very important for me on a personal level that people understand what it is that they are doing and why self-custody is so important in this space. 
And that's something that they might not know off the bat, but once they realize that they are truly in control, it is both frightening, but also a privilege. And that's something that I like to help people and, and guide them through that process. And then now more recently, I have been working with Azteco and something that I noticed when trying to bring Bitcoin to the masses is that they don't have to understand all of the technical aspects for them to want to join and be a part of and then naturally want to evolve and start to understand more. And this is something that has to be understood is that a lot of the times one is very prideful of all the knowledge that we have concerning Bitcoin and all the different specialties and technicalities that might come into it. But a lot of the people just want to know, how does this benefit me and to use it straight away. So we have a bit more of a use it first. And then once you've experienced it on a smaller level, of course, then naturally you will come for us for more answers. And that's something that I really enjoy recently because instead of me trying to push this idea onto them, it's that they come back for more questions and which is why I was very interested in this work because eventually there might be topics that I'm not exactly a specialist and I would like to defer to you. So thank you. Thanks for that, Tanya. Really well said. I think sometimes it's easy to impose our ideology as you know hardcore Bitcoiners to say, this is the only way it can be done. And certainly if someone's putting a bunch of their time and energy into Bitcoin, I think it's wise to advise self-custody, but you know, someone doesn't have to understand deep, deep self-custody, um, you know, strategies before getting their first hundred sats. So I think that's a really good point. Jason, I don't know if your hand was up from before, or if you have it up again. Oh, no, sorry. Um, let me turn that off. No worries. We got six minutes left. So does anyone else want to contribute any sort of value or guiding principle, share something in that respect before we close this out? I think that was me, a pretty good... Oh, let go let me throw a question out, if you don't mind. Um, Please do. What, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to assume, uh, I haven't met anyone here yet besides today, but uh, it sounds like most people are pretty much max maxis here. Um, how would you react if a client said, hey, in, I'd like to accept, you know, shitcoin A, B, and C? I mean, do you just turn them away? W what do you think about that? Like, I, I would cringe if someone asked me to do that personally, but, you know, you're a client and. Uh... So yeah, I can jump why? in with my answer pretty easily there. Um, you know, I've had clients who have said, um, okay, and by the way, can you also help me with Ethereum or can you help me with an integration with some kind of stable coin or whatever? And my very standard straightforward answer is you're going to need to talk to somebody else for that. I'm not interested in that. That's not part of what I do. Um, and that usually then prompts them to ask why. And then I can actually go in and, you know, actually explain the, you know, the proposition of Bitcoin versus um Let's be just use the nice term altcoins, um, and really you know, get them to actually understand that. So if they then still want to you know have that, then fine, they can go talk to somebody else, and I'm not going to you know, harp on at them or stop working with them or whatever. But my focus is Bitcoin, so that's what I'm going to work with them on, and nothing else. And do you have like some sort of um, document or anything that like? If, if you went in and you integrated Lightning and then some other consultant came and, and built on top of your thing and broke, you know, and put their funds at risk, do you have anything that protects you in any way from, you know, some 
I'm, I'm going to call them shitcoiners, sorry, <laughs> from <laughs> ruining all the hard work you did to get them to where they needed to be. So um, not directly, but I think one of the big things here is that I don't write any code for my clients. I essentially do a lot of architectural work. I show them how to develop things. I help them understand the code, um, understand Bitcoin and how they'll implement it in the code. But I don't actually write code for the clients. So you know, it will be their developers writing the code that actually implements what I have suggested for them um, on these implementation projects. So if somebody else comes along and breaks things, that really is, you know, on that somebody else. Um, but education is a big part of what I'm doing, of course. So, you know, in the process of teaching their developers how to do this, they're also learning why. And hopefully that would put them in a position that somebody else coming in and trying to break things, you know, there'll be some pushback from the client. Um, yeah, I, I haven't had a problem with it yet. I mean, I can imagine a scenario where a client comes back to me and says, hey, I got somebody else to implement Ethereum and now all of the uh, Lightning stuff isn't working. Um, and, you know, then we'll go in and take a look. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly how I would handle that, but, you know, um, it, it hasn't happened yet. All right. Thanks. That makes sense. Thanks. Yeah. And maybe even just high level values that if we really zoom out and we look at this eventually as because like I said, I think right now it's like just a network for us to be able to refer to. But eventually, if there's some sort of client facing Bitcoin consultant website, the idea of saying we had, we consult on Bitcoin only and even saying something like we will never ask you for your private keys, because I've already heard from people who have been scammed where they're like, oh, I thought this person said they could help me with Bitcoin and then they ended up stealing my Bitcoin and just being very clear. I think that's a beautiful answer, Ben, because you're not commenting or giving your opinion on something you're just saying this is not i i don't offer advice on this you're gonna to have to go to someone else and like you said if they ask why then it opens the door good question jason santosh or christopher oh, uh, i thanks. think ben hit the nail on the head oh uh, I, I was santosh. just going to say thanks uh chris i was just going to say my response that's cheeky is usually you need to go speak to the student of ethereum or whatever the other altcoin they're usually asking you about uh, exactly in the same vein as Ben sort of just suggested. Um, focus on what we do best and have them go reach out to the appropriate individuals uh, for the item that they're searching for. And of course, if the question does come up, why? Then give them the reasoning behind why I believe that's the case. And Before I just wanted to, I just wanted to mirror exactly what. Um... Santosh said, and also Ben, um, our answer is scarily almost identical because we get that question a fair bit from merchants asking if uh, we will implement um, payment rails for other, for altcoins. And um, yeah, it's scarily a similar answer and uh, yeah, scarily similar process, but I guess that's no surprise really. No surprise. All right, well, it is 11.59, my time at least. I think it's a good place to wrap up. Thank you everyone for being on this call. Uh, I'm gonna commit to doing another call. I am expecting a child in November. The date is November 14th. So there is an off chance, it might not work out, but I can always give someone um, kind of control over that. Um, but next call, November 21st, I'm gonna do a 12 noon to 2 p.m. Um, I don't know what, I, I like the 21st as just the number instead of picking the day. So I don't know what day that falls on. But uh, I think if you want to be part of that, uh, DM me on Noster. 
So uh, under Caribou in the shared spreadsheet, the Nostra account there is for Finney21. That's the one I check daily. It's probably the only social media I'm going to check daily in, in the near future. Um, and I think the two questions that uh, might be a good focus are questions to ask people that first come to see you for work. Uh, I think JCB brought up a really good point of meeting people where they are. So I think the only way to do that is gain understanding. The only way to do that is ask questions. So we'll focus the first hour on questions we ask to people or companies or individuals that approach us. And then number two, the business of consulting. So maybe sharing stories on how are we making money um, doing this work? What frameworks are we using? How are we billing for this? I think the more templates that get thrown out there into the uh, conversation, the more ideas we can have to pick and choose from in our own individual work. So thanks again, everyone for being here, making the time. Two hours is a good amount of time and uh, I appreciate everyone's attention and it was an honor hosting this one. Uh, and thank you, Ben, for really like kicking this off because I, you know, it's up to all of us to nurture the seed, but without the seed, we can't grow something. So much love to you all. This will be up on Bitcoin Store within 24 hours and um, wishing you all a great weekend. Ciao.